Everybody, I love you. I thank God for you. Hey, if God has brought you here um, for the first time, man, we are delighted that he's at work in your life. And know this, he has maneuvered this week and orchestrated to draw you here. He called you. You said yes. You're in the right place with the right people at the right time for him to speak through his word by the power of his spirit into your life. So it's exciting what we can anticipate even yet this morning. Though that praise band and vocal team, woohoo, they're awesome. Hey, um, if you're new or here, you've caught us in the middle of a teaching series called Jesus is Greater. And I need today's talk for me. And it's important, an important message for you. Jesus is greater than our failures. Um, let me show you a picture of someone I never want to fail again. Uh, this is my mom and dad. Uh, three months ago, we were both uh, fully vaccinated and had been for a couple of weeks. I tried to go down to see my dad. He turned 93 three months ago, and um, he's looking for a job. <laughs> he told me that this week, but my mom was sick that month, and then the next month we tried. My dad was sick. Last weekend, uh, Deb and I got to go visit them, and uh, though we talked to them on the phone every day, it was so good to be with them in their home and see them um, doing really well and to meet mooch off of them. That's awesome. Um, just like you never stop being a parent, you never stop mooching off your parents. Um, but let me show you something. Let me tell you something that's completely on the other end of the Clark generational spectrum. This week, um, Miriam, uh, she's married to my Jacob. He's my youngest biological son, serves on our staff in our elementary uh, kids' ministry. Miriam is about halfway through her pregnancy, and um, she was getting a sonogram this week, and I was interested to know uh, the results, so I called her up on Thursday to see what she had found out, and she just starts giggling. And I said, what's going on? She said, you won't believe it. She said she got there, you know, they put the jelly on the belly and those electrode things on her tummy and wiggle stuff around. And she said the nurse uh, uh, started laughing. She said, you got to see this. Look at your son. And he was doing this. <laughs> she said, your son is praying already. And so they laughed and I laughed on the phone with her. But the little boy, his name's going to be Jonathan James, or I guess his name is now Jonathan James. My dad's name is James William, so it's cool for us, but he's kind of nestled right down at the bottom of her womb. And so the, the technician said, we really need to get a picture of his spine, so um, would you mind going down to the bathroom and emptying your bladder? That's church talk for pee. Um, <laughs> so she goes and empties her bladder, uh, comes back, and the, the idea was to make more room in her womb for him to move around. And to the, the, the lady doing the thing, the, lady, the jelly lady, she started laughing again. She said, you got to see your son. He was doing this. Just like, hey, mom, I'm chilling. Thanks for the extra room. Keep that bladder empty. And so they said, well, we still can't get a good shot of his spine. Would you mind going for a walk? And maybe that'll get things kind of jostled around, and he'll move, and we'll get a, a fuller picture of him. So she goes for a walk. She comes back, more jelly on the belly. And then 
the technician starts laughing again. She said, never in your life will you believe this. Miriam looks up at the image, and little Jonathan James is doing this. <laughs> I know. It's all, I love this kid already. I never want to fail Jonathan James because here's the deal. Failure always hurts. Job failure, financial failure. But when it's a relationship, when we fail, people that we love, friends that are close to us, family members that are dear to us, that kind of failure carries a depth of shame that we just can't get free of. I mean, we can outlive the failure, but it's like we get lost in the shame. It's like it attaches itself to our soul. And I, I, I know what I'm talking about because 39 years ago, I'd been the pastor here for six months and got fired. The, the couple of leading families in the church, uh, our church is really small back then, they did not uh, like me, and they wanted me gone. And um, now, thank goodness uh, for me, uh, the rest of the church family came to our defense, stood up for us, uh, voted in mass for us to stay, came by our home. Deb and I are packing stuff up. They said, David, uh, you know, we voted, we want you to stay. And we're like, thanks, but no thanks, we're out of here. And they said, w would you at least pray? And I said, okay, I'll pray. Weirdest thing. I think it happened three times. I'm praying, and in the middle of my prayer, the phone rings. You remember real phones with cords? Those little dialy things? And a receiver, I, would, I would open my eyes from my prayer, grab the receiver, listen, and there would be a, a ministry colleague, a, a friend who was a pastor. One time it was a former Bible college professor, and they each said the same thing, you need to stay. And so I, I three times unawares during prayer, I took that as a leading from the Lord, and we stayed. Yeah. So I, I, I outlived the failure, but the shame had burrowed into my soul. I slipped into a deep, dark depression, anxiety, panic attacks, sleepless nights, nightmares, the works. And it took six months of just saturating my soul with the Word of God and prayer and uh, singing to the Lord, which is... <laughs> pretty gross singing. Six months before he lifted me out of the pit of despair and just kind of cleansed me from all that shame over my humiliating failure. I outlived the failure, but I got stuck in the shame. And that's exactly what's going on in the life of the main character of the Jesus story we're investigating today. His name is Simon Peter, and he believes he has failed in the worst way possible the person, the one person that he loved more than the air he breathed. He was best friends with Jesus. Simon Peter was his name. His mom and dad gave him the name Simon. Jesus gave him the name Peter, it means rock. But in this moment of failure and shame, it's a, a cold dark. And I say dark because it's those darkest hours of night before dawn. 
Jesus is on trial for his life. He's already been betrayed by a Judas kiss. He's already been arrested. Jesus is on trial for his life. And during that trial, Peter denies he even knows Jesus publicly, not once, not twice, but three times. Let me show you the setting of the story. Guards, these are the same guards that came and forcibly took Jesus, arrested him, took him into custody, bound his hands behind his back, shoved him, pushed him, beat him, and stood him before the high priest for trial. These same guards had made a charcoal fire. Say charcoal fire. This is the secret of this entire story. It's one Greek word, two English words, but it's the hinge on which everything turns. The guards had made a charcoal fire. They stood around it, warming themselves. Peter stood with them. What? This is like Aaron Rodgers wearing a Bears jersey. No, he's with the enemy. He's with those who demean, disrespect, who hurt Jesus. He's standing with them, friends, young people in particular. When you're with the wrong people in the wrong place at the wrong time, failure and shame, trouble. This is when we tend to blow it big time. Peter does not live up to his name. He's more like a bunch of crushed sand that just goes through his hand. Starts with the teenage girl. She comes up to him, confrontively sticks her finger in his face and says, you are a follower of Jesus. Peter's like, you're out of your mind. I don't even know that man. And then a soldier, one of the guards standing there says, I think I recognize the accent in your voice. You're from where Jesus is from. You are a follower of Jesus. Peter's like, no, I don't know what you think you heard. I don't know what you think you saw. I don't even know the man. And then a servant, he chimes in and says, you know what? With my own eyes, I saw you with Jesus. You are a follower of Jesus. And Peter just goes ballistic. The word of God says, he began to call down curses. Now, scholars say that the force of that word curses means he cursed himself and he cursed Christ. He called down curses on Jesus. He swore at the girl, swore at the guard, swore at the servant. I don't know this man you're talking about. And with that failure of the one he loved most, shame began to burrow into his soul. Have you ever failed someone you loved, a close friend, a dear family member, and you got caught red-handed right in the middle of the failure? Has that ever happened? That's what happens to Peter. As soon as those profane curses fall from his lips, the Word of God says, at that moment, the Lord Jesus turned and looked at Peter. Jesus had watched it all. You know something? He's still watching it all. Jesus had heard it all, and he still hears it all. What I want to know is, what was in that look when their eyes locked? 
Now, please, don't put your response. I know how you'd respond. You'd be like, why I oughta? But I know Jesus. And I believe that wordless stare was conveying. I mean, now his face is beaten. Maybe uh, blood and slobber dripping from his chin. But he looks at Peter, and I believe the look conveys this. Peter, I saw it. I heard it. But I still want you. I still love you. I still have a great dream for your life. No matter how hard Jesus tried to communicate those truths. And fact is, that's why he's brought you here today. He wants you to know, hey, I've seen all your failures. I still want you. I still love you. I still have a great dream for your life. Well, Peter, he believes that he has absolutely blown it. He thinks he will never recover from this failure, that this is like the worst failure possible, and Jesus knows. And so he runs. It's what we all do when we feel shame. We want to get away as far as possible. Scripture says Peter left weeping bitterly. So he has this bitter shame just penetrating his soul. How do you think he feels when by nine o'clock, just hours later, by nine o'clock in the morning, bam, nails are driven into the wrist of Jesus. His feet are impaled to the cross. I'm thinking that if I'm Peter, that now my shame is impaled in my heart. It's irremovable. I can't recover from this shame. Even three days later, when Jesus is risen victorious from the grave, having defeated death and hell and sin, he meets with Peter one-on-one. And it doesn't help. Shame is stalking Peter like a shadow. He can't get free of it. That's in the morning on the first Easter. Evening on the first Easter, Jesus meets Peter again. Now he's in a small group in a home. But it doesn't help. The next Sunday, Jesus meets that same small group of men with Peter again. And still, it's like Peter thinks, it's not just that I did something wrong again and again and again. There's something wrong with me. I'll never, I have totally disqualified myself for a relationship with Jesus. And I think it's three weeks later that he decides to quit on the whole Jesus thing. He's like, he's going to go back to the only thing he's ever been good at, professional fishing. And guess what? Six of the closest followers of Jesus say, we're going with you. They were driven by their shame as well. They felt like failures as well. And so the, the seven of them pile into a boat, set sail. This is at night. That's when fishermen fish. In fact, it's so cool to stand on the shoreline of the Sea of Galilee at night and look at fishing boats, their lights on ringing, ringing the, the perimeter of the sea. They go fish at night. They fish all night. They catch nothing. I mean, they try every fisherman trick in the book. They catch nothing. They sling those nets out like hovering frisbees that slap the surface of the water. And every time they pull them in, they pull them in empty. 
time and again, time and again, nothing, nothing. They go to every spot on the, on the sea where they know they've always caught fish and they catch nothing, nothing. Not for hours they catch nothing. And now the sun starts to come up over the eastern mountains overlooking the Sea of Galilee. And as they're drifting, they get about 100 yards from the western shoreline. And the, the, the morning is shattered. The silence of their personal despair is shattered by a voice that calls out, hey, have you any fish? And almost to a man, no. And then the voice. And, and you got to understand, this is the voice. This is the voice that spoke the names of stars, and they appeared in their places. This is the voice that spoke, and planets went spinning into space. This is the, the voice that caused all the cosmos to be created, and there was nothing created that was created, but was created by this voice. This is the voice that stopped a raging storm with one word. This is the voice that spoke forgiveness of sins. This is the, the voice that's, that made the blind see and the lame to walk and the sick well. This is the voice that raised the dead. This is the voice of Jesus. For whatever his purposes, a hundred yards away, they do not recognize the voice of Jesus. But this voice, it speaks, and he says, <laughs> I still want you. I still love you. I still have a great plan for your life. So here we go. Word of God says, Christ spoke. He said, throw the net off the right side of the boat and see what happens. And they did what he said. And all of a sudden, there were so many fish in it, they weren't strong enough to pull it in. Seven sets of fishermen, bony knees, bam, bang the side of the boat. The boat tips on its side. Their arms go down in the water. They're holding for all their worth to the net that's full of fish. It's like this unseen force has hit the net, sweeping it away from them. They grab it. They hold for all their worth. They pull. And as they just get it to the surface, they look at each other. Dude, that's Jesus. And Peter, he lets go his part of the net, dives head first into the water with powerful, strong strokes, swims his way to shore, comes splashing, slogging, staggering out of the water to get to Jesus. But when he gets to Jesus, he is absolutely stunned by what he sees. Can't say a word. His heart stops and we find out what he sees that has left him wordless when the other disciples bring the boat to shore. The word of God says when they got there, they found breakfast waiting for them. Fish cooking over a over charcoal fire. Two times that Greek word appears in the New Testament. This is the second time. First time at the place where Peter had denied. He even knew Jesus three times. Jesus is recreating the moment, just like he does in your life and mine, when we carry our failures, worse, when we carry the shame of our failures, Jesus wants us to know, hey, I saw it all. I heard it all. I still want you. I still love you. I still have a great dream for your life. 
Look what happens next. Then Jesus served them bread and the fish. Can you, can you get that image in your mind? Seven men and Jesus, and he's going from the fire man to man and serving them breakfast. That's why it's so good that you're in the right place right now, at the right time right now, around the right kind of people, because Jesus is here in this moment, and he's reaching out to you. Oh, how I love to serve you. Oh, how I love to forgive you. Oh, how I love to heal what's hurting inside you. Oh, I still want you. I still love you. I still got a great plan for your life. The question is, do we receive the love of Jesus? Um, I got to show you something in the text. The Bible says this was the third time Jesus had appeared to his disciples since he had been raised from the dead. How many times did Peter deny Jesus? Three. How many days was Jesus in the tomb? Three. And now this is the third time Jesus appears to a group of disciples. I think it's three weeks later. You know, in the Bible, the number three is a holy number. It's a big deal number. It's a God number. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus is about to do a third thing. Jesus is about to do a a God thing. And here it is. After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these fish, that big pile. Scripture says there were 153 fish in those nets. Why did they count them? Why did they take the time? Because all fishermen, they know. I mean, sometimes they lie, but this is the Bible. Why 153? Ray, the number 153 is the number of species of fishes in the Sea of Galilee. What's he saying? When I make you fishers of men, you're going to reach out to every person of every race, of every color, of every culture, and they all get to come in. Can I talk to you a second? Would you come join me? Our associate pastor of teaching. I love you. That's just, it's just such an important image for us because it's every race, every color, every culture, every kind of person. 153, it's all species. It's all of us together with Jesus. You can be seated. He's awesome. I love him. Well, here's how Peter responds. Jesus says, do you love me more than these fish? After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied, you know I love you. Then feed my lambs. Lambs. Lambs are babies. Lambs are children. Lambs are brand new believers in Jesus. They are the most important part of the flock. They are the most precious part of the flock. Jesus said, Peter, I still want you. Peter, I still love you. Peter, I still got a great plan for your life. I'm entrusting you with what is most precious to me. I'm giving you responsibility for what is most important to me. Take care of my babies. I still love you. 
I still want you. I still have a great plan for your life. But the question and answer session goes on. Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said. You know I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. Sheep are adults. Sheep are mature. Sheep are grown. Peter never saw this coming. But Jesus would use him to write two books of the, the, of the Bible that would care for our souls, that would nurture our souls, that would strengthen our souls, that would draw us closer to Jesus, that would bury in our souls the truth that Jesus still wants you, Jesus still loves Whatever your failure, he still has a great plan for your life. The third time, the third question, a third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, then feed my sheep. This wasn't even on Peter's radar, but guess what? Three weeks later, Jesus would put Peter back in the game. It's the big moment. It's crunch time. Peter will preach the first gospel sermon on the day that the church is born. God gives birth to the church, and Peter stands and begins to preach to the gathered crowds in audience. And he concludes his message by saying, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And this time, when the words fall from his mouth, now he's in the right place at the right time around the right kind of people. And the one at the center of it all is the one who is always and ever right, the righteous one, Jesus. And 3,000 men come forward to be baptized. An equal number of women, maybe even more children, maybe 10,000 people were saved from hell and delivered to heaven. They were saved. Now Jesus is alive in them by the word of Christ through Peter. He didn't even see it coming. All he knew was Jesus said, I still want you. I still love you. That's all you know. Jesus saying to you, I still want you. I still love you. I still have a great plan for your life. I wonder, it's Jesus and Peter walked back to the group, back to the charcoal fire. Peter didn't remember a story Jesus had told earlier in his ministry about a, a son who had failed his father in the worst way possible. The son was kind of brassy and bitter and belligerent, and he said to his dad, Dad, I wish you were dead, <laughs> but you're not. So I want in cash money the, the value of one-third of everything you own. Liquidate and give to me. This is no ordinary father because he comes across with the cash. And the kid grabs the money, gets as far from home and as father as he can get, and then squanders, wastes, blows it all on prostitutes, and partying, drugs, alcohol. I mean, just party after party, prostitute after prostitute. And the moment comes when it's gone. And when the last drop is out of the last bottle and the last party is over, when he doesn't have two dimes to rub together, he no longer has two friends. No one to come alongside. No one to help. No one who will even share a meal with him. And he's desperate. He's hungry. He goes looking for a job. Finally finds the lowest job possible, feeding pigs on a farm. Jesus says, as he's slopping the pigs, he is so desperate in his hunger that the slop looks good to him. And when he reaches for a handful, 
Jesus says he comes to his senses and says, oh my gosh, I, what was I thinking? I've sinned against God. I've failed God. I've sinned against my father. I've failed my father. I'm going to go home. Maybe he'll still want me. I, I'm not worthy to be his son, but maybe I can get a, be a farmhand. And so, I mean, he's up and out of that pig pen. Doesn't take time to shower, bathe, or put on different clothes. He just, he's got to go home. And the whole story, man, it just blows up when the son returns home. And from a far distance, the father sees his son, just like I know my boys, just by the way they walk. The father sees his son walking home, and he breaks into a run. And people are like, hey, old man, while you're running, that's my child, and I still want him. And the father gets to the son and throws his arms around him and kisses him on the neck and says, oh, son, you smell like pigs. I don't care how you failed. I don't care how filthy you are. I still love you. I still want you. You're still my child. I still have a great dream for your life. In fact, you guys, somebody bring my best robe to my son. Bring my most expensive ring to my child. Bring my shoes and put them on his feet. I still want him. I still love him. I still have a great plan for his life. Thank you so much for listening to the Central Wired podcast. Be sure to stay connected with us at centralwire.com and have a great week.